dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. The work of St. Thomas Aquinas remains at the center of Catholic tradition. In his many writings, Thomas treats of leadership in different ways, but nowhere is his treatment as concise or condensed as when he writes to the King of Cyprus in his book De Regno. I'd like to continue lessons that I've given about this book on leadership. This is lesson number two on leaders of the common good. Hello, everybody, and welcome back again. I'm glad to continue our lessons here on leadership from St. Thomas Aquinas. And let me just tell you what a privilege this is to be able to bring into the practicalities of your lives as leaders in the home, in school, in the office, wherever you are. And especially, of course, thinking about our dear entrepreneurs out there trying hard to make it. And, you know, as you, as you face the, the, the challenges of trying to organize people, each one of us finds ourselves really confronting the same challenges. We, we have to figure out how to balance the innovation of an individual with the, the conservancy of the group. We have to figure out how to balance the drive and the motivation of a single individual against well, the budget, you know what I mean? If you want to tra- attract some sort of great executive and you have to pay four times the amount of your other employees, well, what, is it worth it? And how do you get to that point? How do, you, how do you balance in the needs of a budget against the output that's expected of each member? How do you gauge someone's output? And then how do you do all of this fairly? Uh, respecting both the civil law and respecting the moral law I mean, it's such a plethora of of a thicket, so to speak, of problems that few people even endeavor to try. And that's why I'm just so proud of each one of you for being here, for being willing to come, to take the time to go deeply into this particular approach to leadership, which is really, of course, the, the approach of the Catholic Church. And I want you to hear from wisdom. I remember when people first started asking me, questions about, you know, why is it that you're going into business leadership, Father Nathan? I mean, you're a Catholic priest, you know, you founded the St. John Institute, and you want to use this institute to raise up leaders. And people kind of like instinctively say like, what is that all about? You know, and of course I think, well, that's because the poorest of the poor in the world today will never be fed unless leadership steps up to find a way to feed them. Human life and human rights will not find a voice that's prophetic and effective in changing the systems of injustice unless that voice can find its own basis in solid leadership. Parishes will not be able to make the outreach that they plan to have unless they be organized effectively. Like, you can go right on down the line, and you can say in the end you could have all the resources in the world, 
But if you don't have people willing to wield those resources towards what is objectively good and morally right, well, those resources will be squandered. It doesn't take a lot of money or a lot of time to spend money. It doesn't take a lot of talent to figure out how you can spend money. But it takes a heck of a lot of time and a heck of a lot of talent to figure out how to generate that money. And I would hate to see where we're at today as a country go without being used effectively by God for his greater glory and go without being used effectively by God for the betterment of our world. But that bridge between resources and success and effective distribution and an ongoing care, that bridge is traversed by leaders who are intrepid, savvy, wise, and holy. And I think to myself, well, that's exactly what we ought to be raising up in the church. The other day I was reflecting with someone who comes from a whole different culture, a whole different society. And their culture and world were, is very much influenced by an aristocratic kind of view of things where the, the rich have money and education and where the poor are unable to find their proper footing. So interestingly enough, I said, well, of course, the church is there to support uh, the, the, the wealthy segment of society so that then they can support the poor and to turn them into leaders. And this person shook their head and said, alas, that's not what happens. In fact, what happens is just the opposite. And I said, now that, of course, is a tragedy. The Catholic Church does not think that leadership is a privilege for the rich and powerful. It's rather a gift from God that's meant to be bestowed upon every single member. And those who have those resources have them for a reason, namely by their, thereby to raise up the lot of those who are around them. And this is exactly what we're trying to do here. But to do that, you've got to have a sense of what is, in fact, the common good and the role that leaders have to play in building up that common good and helping people to use that common good for their own personal advantages, which indeed increases the value of that common good. So it's kind of a complex thing, but it's really at the heart of a, of a philosophy that was enunciated way back when. If you want to go back to St. Thomas Aquinas, 1225, 1240, 1250. This is some 800 years ago, Catholic priests were saying the same thing. And as a matter of fact, St. Thomas Aquinas goes forward to say that it's the role of the leader, the role of the leader to govern over what belongs to the community as a whole. Because if we can lift up what belongs to the community as a whole, well, then every single member of the community stands to benefit from it. So leadership does not replace personal responsibility, he says. A personal responsibility is one thing. The, the common good is another. But what we all share together goes to benefit each individual. And that requires a knowledge, a craft, a courage from the heart of an individual member of that community in order to make that common shared uh, treasure actually flourish and be for the betterment of all. And that's the specific role that we have as leaders. And it's my role as a priest to get behind you, to support you, to help you, to make sure that whatever corner of that common good that we all own actually goes back to serve the benefits of the rest. And that way, in a sense, we all go up together.
It's like the exact opposite of the famous song. You know, we all go down together. No, we all go up together. This is the Catholic vision for leadership, but it requires people at the top who have that responsibility deeply ingrained in them and that knowledge of the reason why you are a leader. You got different, different ways of explaining your leadership, in other words. You can explain your leadership from the point of view of power. Okay, there's actually four different ways to look at it. The first way is to say, I'm a leader because I have power. Well, that's correct in a certain degree. You are a leader because you have power. Okay, fine. That's defining leadership from what it can do. Okay, so if you don't have power, it's very hard to lead. But if you do have power, well, your leadership becomes, you know, magnified. Fine. Another way to look at it is from where your leadership comes from. And you could say, well, I am a leader because I have been designated as a leader. So I have a position. You put a position with power, you could say, my goodness, what an amazing leader that person is. But that's not necessarily what really defines leadership. And then you got another way of looking at it, which is looking at what a leader is. You could say, a lead, I am a leader because I exert influence in a systemic way over other people. And you could say, yes, that's also a good definition of leadership. You can look at leadership. These are called the causes, right, in philosophy. You can look at leadership, in other words, as what it does, where it's from, or what it is. But the real essence of a leader and the real essence of trying to get it underneath of leadership is asking the question, why? Why are you a leader? And the person that can answer that question well answers the question of what a good leader is in the deepest of senses. He's able to say, I am a leader in order to advance the goodness and elevate the potential of every member of the organization that I lead. And that helps because then we can engage. Yeah, maybe you have a lot of power or less power. Maybe you have a high position or a lower position. Maybe you influence in a magnificent way or maybe you don't. But I can judge the quality of your leadership not based upon any of those external factors that other people give to you. I can judge the quality of your leadership based upon what you produce in the hearts of those whom you lead. And this vision of leadership is where Aquinas and the whole spirituality of the church starts to bear a magnificent influence. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. So let's take a look together at what Aquinas actually writes here, right? So we're studying a text called De Regno, or On the King, right? And it was a text written for the King of Cyprus by St. Thomas Aquinas as a gift. So he's like, well, I mean, I, I, I'm poor, so I can't give you a new car. I, I'm, a, I'm a scholar. So what can a scholar give to a king? And he said, why don't, why don't I write a book on kingship? Right? So, all right, well, what, is that, what does it take to be a king? Says Aquinas. So I, we can, of course, apply this to organizational leadership at all the different levels. What does it take to do that? And he makes this statement right in book one, chapter one, preliminary observations. That's just earth shattering for us, right? He's laying the foundation for leadership. And he says, just like in, in anything, an individual might suffice to himself or herself 
it, at the same time, to live a good life, a human being requires cooperation with others. Leadership finds its basis in governing that cooperation between people. Now, I love this because it simultaneously presents two facts to us. The first is that each one of us remains responsible for ourselves. I was recently reading just a story that, you know, no one's read before. It's kind of neat about a guy named Owen. Owen and his family, Owen Thompson, who arrived in Putnam County, Ohio in 1804. It's an amazing tale. And this is found in the courthouse uh, records of Putnam County, which again, like, you know, you'd like to write a book about this guy. He leaves Connecticut with his wife and his family, and he sails into Lake Erie, way over in Buffalo, New York, to sail from Lake Erie, ideally all the way down into Putnam County. Now, that's quite a, that's quite a thing. I mean, Putnam County is, some, is a good hour and a half drive from Lake Erie. He's going to take a river, etc. It takes him nine months. He's actually boating himself on an open boat, rowing through thunderstorms on Lake Erie. At one point, the, the wife is so exhausted that she wades to the shore, lays down on the beach, and sleeps because I mean they've been they have to stop, pull in along a, a, a river, and and be housed underneath trees for two weeks because their boat gets run aground. You know it has a smash, have to repair the boat. He spends a total of four weeks actually living under trees with his wife and his kids at different points along the journey. It takes him nine months. And he arrives into Putnam County, and there he sets up a homestead some 60 miles from the nearest other uh, white colonizer. And, and there he has to live completely autonomous by the use of his own hands to rear his family. And they said he did so for seven years before at least, you know, another person from the East came in order to help him. It, what a story of individualism, right? What a story of bravery. And that's just one of the many thousands and ten thousands of stories of the pioneers who settled in, in, in the American frontier. And as you, you read those stories, you say, my goodness, this was an amazing feat of individualism. But what did he give up as he did that? And you're like, we, we all have individualism. We all have a proper sense of the fact that our life is in our hands and we need to govern it as if our life was something we're responsible for. It's one of the great ailments, I think, of our contemporary culture that we've lost that sense. Somehow we think that either mom and dad or brother or sister or the government or somebody else is supposed to come in, tell us how to live, and if we just live according to the rules, telling people how to live, we'll have guaranteed success. So we hedge our bets, we get a good degree, and with that degree, I should be able to get a job, and my job should not be able to fire me until I can, you know. And we hedge, it's a great thing, there's nothing wrong with it. But if you adopt that mentality too much, you can also have the sense that I'm just playing by the rules. And as whatever the rules say, that's what I do because it enables me to have peace of mind and financial prosperity but I'm not going to innovate. I'm not going to generate anything. You know, it's like the, the studies that, that show that in, in a lot of major corporations, after their founder leaves, go into tailspin and can even wipe out of control. And they say, why? And they say, well, usually what happens to corporations is that leadership is not rewarded. Conservative management is rewarded. So you get promoted by not making mistakes instead of getting promoted for coming up with some new way to do things. 
Well, if we all adopt that mentality as a civilization, the same thing's going to happen. We have a whole generation of young people whose idea is, I deserve to be fine. I deserve to be prosperous. I deserve to be safe. And I'm not necessarily having to pay anything into it. That's an example where we've lost that sense of radical responsibility that Owen Thompson had with him and his family saying, I don't know who else is going to do it. I'm going to do it. I bought land out in Ohio. I'm going to go from Connecticut to claim that land. I'm going to go through thunderstorms and shipwreck and through native troubles and all kinds of things, but I'm not going to stop because it's my land and I'm going to form my family there without any of your help. It's incredible. But now, now on the other hand, you have to balance the, the sense of the fact that as a community, not everything belongs to you as an individual. You also have the obligation that you have to support what we share. And of course, our sense for the common good has grown in beautiful ways. Our understanding of the environment, our understanding of, of economic sharing, of prosperity, our understanding of different moral codes that should influence culture. These things might have been void at the time of Owen Thompson and the settling of Putnam County, Ohio, right? That, could, that might not have been there. And today we have a greater sense of those things. And so as a community leader, I need to be able to make sure that those things are also augmented. But Aquinas says every human being can't make it alone, but they have to at the same time have that sense of responsibility for what personally belongs to them. There's a distinction, in other words, from that which belongs to each unique individual and that which belongs to the community to which those individuals belong. And governing that balance between individual rights, individual freedoms, and the, the foundations for those rights and freedoms, which is the shared property of the many belonging to that community, that's the role of a leader. And that's a role, I think, that's extremely hard to do. And it's one that you've come here to find. To find that proper balance point as you navigate the ship of your organization through the waters between the duties that we owe to the common effort and the individual initiatives that no common effort could ever replace. <laughs> it's not an easy spot to be, but don't worry. That's why we founded the St. John Institute. We're here to help you. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. All right, so looking deeply into Aquinas' philosophy here uh, on De Regno, or his book on the king or on leadership, right? We come to this beautiful line. I just want to read it for you because I just think it's awesome. He's actually quoting the, the, the Vulgate translation of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs eleven fourteen. It goes like this, where there is no governor, the people shall fail. That's a, and then it goes on to say, and yet there is salvation or health in having many counselors. It's a, it's a neat little, a little play on words here. Where there is no governor, the people fails. That's kind of interesting because you have to say, well, no, what we need is less governance and not more. And it's not so much a quantity thing. It's that there's an essential role that there be a king, that there be a, a leader, that there be a government, if you want. It doesn't matter so much on the king or democracy at this point. Aquinas is saying, 
Just like in your, your, your person, there has to be something to govern your hands and your feet. And we call that the mind or the heart, right? Otherwise, your hands and your feet would just dance all over the place. If you want to have unity and cohesion uh, in an orchestra, if you want all those instruments to come together, you need a conductor. In a classroom, if you want all those students to sit down and learn, they need to have a lesson plan, right? If you, in a train, if you want all those cars to be pulled in the same direction, you have to have an engine, right? Well, he says in any type of organizational structure, you need an intelligent operator whose job it is to govern the many into a unity. And this is where the rub is. It's not so much that a governor is necessary. That's called your leader. It's what that governor does in order to make the unity, right? How is it that I unify the many different parts that I lead? This is the art of, of leadership. And as a Catholic leader, my friends, this is where your innovation comes in. Sometimes people ask me, Father Nathan, what's the difference? I mean, you say that being a Catholic leader ought to make a difference. And, and what is that difference? I, it's in the way that the mind of Christ and the mind of a Christian imbued by faith creates that, that, that energy, that unit, un, that harmony, that unity between the individual and the common good. That's where the light of Christ is going to make its impact because that's where the art of leadership is actually found. So you know, give you some examples. The common good would be uh, at a material level, all the things that you have in your business. It would be your brand, for example. It would be your, your center and your equipment. It would be the space that you occupy. It would be the websites that you manage. It would be the photos that you would use. It would be the history that you share. Everything that you share as a corporation. Right? It's, but just as we know, we could have all those things and still fail. Right? So a, a big part of what we do in a corporation is get our point ourselves to having those things. I mean, it's already a huge thing. If you have an office space and a shared computer system, I mean, like, congratulations. You've done great. My goodness, you know, you've got a benefit package. That's amazing. You know, a lot of people don't have that, right? So you, to, to get to that point is one thing, but we all know at the same time, and people are, especially if you're a small business entrepreneur, you know that as soon as you have those things, everyone then tells you, well, what you're, what you're missing is this, you know? It's like, it's so, it's so difficult to start something on your own because there's never a celebration party where people sit back and say, my, 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 you've arrived. You know, it's like, no, you've never arrived. From the, you go from the one thing to the next, and then all the birds that are sitting on the wire watching you as you're building your house, they'll sit there and start chirping in your ear. They'll be like, you know what, actually, my friend, now that you have the basement done, what are you going to do for the first floor? You're like, well, back when I was trying to build the, the, the basement, you said I could never get it done. Yeah, 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 but what are you going to do for the first floor? Then you get the first floor done, they say, what are you going to do for the second floor? How about the roof? You don't, and a house is worth this without a roof. And, and, and it's one of those most frustrating of things to feel like you are moving forward and nailing things. And yet every time you do so, there's always something else. I remember one time one of my mentors told me, Father Nathan, when you're small, you have small problems. And when you are big, you have big problems. <laughs> and I would say, well, no, when I get big, my small problems will be taken care of. And they're like, yes, when you're big, you have big problems, right? Like the problems never go away. The art of the leader is to, to find that 
way to build to a spot in the common good where the common good is strong enough to sustain the efforts of the individuals that are involved in the organization. And that's already a first step. But then the second step needs to come. And that's where those members of the organization, where they're able to flourish in a way that makes each one of them better. I mean, just think about how you recruit employees. You don't recruit employees by trying to, to defend the organization from the employees. No, you try to recruit employees by telling them how amazing it is for them to work for you. How amazing it is for them to, to be a part of your organization. Well, what are you doing? You're actually saying, if you come to us and share in our common good, your life is going to be made better. You're going to be more vibrant. Your career is going to advance. Your skill set is going to be sharpened. You're going to be able to achieve things that you've always dreamed of achieving by working for us. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and that's that art of leadership. And then to actually enable that to happen. Well, how is it that in a given project, I can balance the need to get the project done with the need for each person to advance in their, in their own art. And Aquinas says, this is what a king's supposed to do. This is what a leader of an organization is supposed to do. They maintain the organization by putting the organization at the service of each of its members. And, and the more I do that, the members become more loyal because the company's actually been a part of their success. And now the, the, the employees, the staff, the people that are working for you and working with you, they actually become enamored by it because the organization's actually been helping them even as they've been helping the organization. Now, how in the world do you do that, you say? And I say, that's the gift of Christ. That's where the intelligence comes in. That's where skill and hard work and all the training of leadership comes in. But it all focuses on one point. And this is the genius of Aquinas. He says, it's the intelligence. If I can form my intellect to be able to determine the true good and to be able to see with the gift of the virtue of industry that belongs to the intellect, I'm able to actually look through the many different ways that are out there and navigate that ship. It's both a natural gift and it's something that I hone by dialogue, by making mistakes, by getting up time and time again in the morning, and by trying again. But my intellect is formed. You don't become a good man overnight. You don't become a good leader overnight. You become a good leader by leading. So we're going to get out of here and take that next step forward and learn. And by learning, we're going to improve. And by improving, we're going to be those leaders that Christ has sent upon the earth. Intelligent and able to find that harmonious balance between the needs of the all and the rights of the individual and the strength of our organization as we navigate the waters like the sailors and the captains of the vessel that we are. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.